President Snow had it hard too, okay? In honor of the Hunger Games, Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, what on-screen villain deserves a Joker-like prequel film that delves deeper into their character? Uh, I'm Katie Rich, and not only would I watch a movie about Jack Black's Bowser, but I kind of feel like they're going to make a movie about Jack Black's Bowser. I hate you for manifesting this. Um, <laughs> they definitely will do that. I am Matt Patches, and after thinking long and hard about the villains I love, I'm going to have to go with a... Uh, a young Abrasics Chronicles movie spinoff of Jupiter Ascending starring young, young Balaam Abrasics before he becomes emperor of the house of Abrasics. I know everyone else is cheering in the audience right now. This is a great <laughs> idea. The bees are circling around your head right now. <laughs> oh, your dog uh, hey, ears just perked up. You love this idea. <laughs> it's me, David the Seven. I'm going to go with Pennywise the Clown. And I don't mean Max's upcoming Welcome to Dairy series. Give me that space turtle drama. If you've read it, you know. Oh, fuck. Yeah. I do remember that. In a Amazingly, while. Okay. it is the one with a space turtle, not Jupiter Ascending. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> there could be a space turtle in there. there you don't know. Could. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine. I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine, too, eh? Good. Then, well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine and, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room. It's episode 451. It is the wow. week of Wednesday, November 15th. That is the day that in 1777, the Articles of Confederation, which were our first constitution, uh, were approved by the Continental Congress. Good job. Isn't that kind of yeah. nice? That, like... They put all that effort into like creating a country and winning a war, and then they like make all the rules, and then a couple years later they're like, "Shit, no, they don't work. We got to do this again." Good time for some new stuff. And amazingly, there's people in this world now that think we should be living by those documents to this day. That they got it completely yeah, right to the letter. I mean, we we believe in the constitution. Like, let's be clear: this podcast is pro constitution, just maybe not uh, originalist intent of the constitution at all times. <laughs> we all agree. Where does fighting in the war room stand on the constitution? <laughs> let's finally answer this question for I the think audience. By some of the constitution is fine. <laughs> this week, I actually have a fun constitution story, which Ooh. is I was sent as a part of some junk mail a pocket constitution. And uh, I showed it to Java and we laughed and I put it in the jacket of my coat. I'm like, at some point, that's going to be funny. And uh, this uh, weekend, this past weekend, I was at the Texas Book Festival in Austin and they held several of their panels in the Capitol. And as an open carry state, that means you got to go through security to get to your panels. So my first panel, they're like, no, no, you can't put your jacket through. Just empty all your pockets. And I went, what? Boom. Pocket Constitution, <laughs> right in the tray, uh, and it it paid off within a week of getting it. So here's wow. my recommendation: carry around a Pocket Constitution. It's only going to be hilarity when when it pops out. You never know. You never know. Uh, you might have figured out by now that David's not here this week. Uh, I guess he's. I don't honestly know what he's doing. Is he seeing the Hunger Games movie? I, I don't it's, remember. It's, David's it's a busy. busy movie season because us critic. I'm not. I, I'm not a critic anymore but uh people who see movies movie in advance, types they're trying to see all the movies before the holiday that's true season they're cramming them in like napoleon is screening this week we got that new hunger games they're color purple screening wish stuff. is screening mm -hmm. gonna mm -hmm. see wish this week yeah a lot did you get invited movies. to the wish screening at 7 p.m on a wednesday where they're like bring your kids yes and in fact i'm bringing my kid oh my god so, no what a terrible idea don't go. do it what do you what do you mean you're going to ruin bedtime. Bedtime. Just go to school the next day. 
She wakes up when I wake her up. Oh my god. That's not <laughs> true. Somehow next week. Is just constantly sleeping. Next week we're going to get the scoop on uh, how that went for I you. I like that you're scolding me for bringing my daughter to a <laughs> Disney animated film where I guess it's fine to take your young children to the way of water as long as it's before bedtime. I mean, look, I'm just saying 7 p.m. on a Wednesday. It's dicey time. Okay. Dave is not here, but Dave has read the reviews. That's right. We have two reviews in the Apple Podcasts app where we would like you to leave reviews because that helps that algorithm uh, find us. We also would appreciate reviews on whatever app you're listening to this podcast on. Uh, but, you know, we're uh, almost 12 year old podcast now. So Apple Podcasts app it is. This first one uh, is from a person named Milwaukee Ryan. And the subject is new here. Five stars. And the, sub the, the, the complete text is... Gotta say, reading your reviews on the show is lame. Love the show otherwise. Fair enough. But now we're doing Veneta. it because you left a review. I, I know. Yeah, there's the... Uh, there, it's an irony, but we could live within Self, that irony. A self-fulfilling prophecy is maybe what you call that. Yes. Uh, this next one comes from a username Bicycle, uh, but it, it's spelled with the word sick on the inside. Uh, but don't worry. They signed it. Uh, Damien S., a host of the Midnight Film Society podcast so we got another podcaster here uh fantastic show despite at five stars to what may concern fighting in the war room is the white whale of podcasts i've been obsessively seeking out since my first episode of film spotting back in the halcyonic heady days of the early obama administration hearing the erudite katie rich on little gold men the curmudgeon with the heart of gold david ehrlich on places like film comment the always peppy and bubbly dave gonzalez on screen drafts and trial by content and matt patches from the internet i thought what if we just bring together this group of remarkable individuals to see if they could become something more, see if they could work together. We need them to review the movies that we never could. It's called the Fighting in the War Room Initiative. The only crack in the otherwise flawless vibranium shield that is this podcast is that David Ehrlich has made the baffling decision to not only record in Werner Herzog's Cave of Forgotten Dreams, but also his lip smacking and addictive, comp addictive compulsive to pop Ricola lozenges mid-recording makes this listener's skin crawl. Otherwise, no notes. Keep up the good work. You know what, Damien? You're right. I have several times asked David if he just wants me to buy him another microphone. And he's like, no, I... I I, I would like to try. I have no hold over what David Ehrlich does. Uh, I guess I could get him a holiday gift, uh, but you know this is probably the podcast. Just send he's it not anonymously to, to his house. He'll never be able, never figure out who sent him a microphone. Uh, yes, that's true. Um, uh, but yeah, we'll uh, he'll just freak out that somebody knows his address and move and talk about <laughs> how bad it was well, and maybe how he needs to switch schools to a place with a closet where he can record good audio. That would also be great. Um, uh, but yes, I, Damien, I'm aware of this. I have a workaround that maybe I could start trying. Uh, don't tell anybody. Uh, but I, I hear your, your calls for better David Ehrlich audio. I don't know if I can make it better, but I might be able to get rid of some of the uh, lozenge background noise. Uh, n learning what I learned when his wife came home and started cooking the other day. Uh, yeah. we, you could also email us at fitwr.podcast at gmail.com with your international reviews uh, if you want us to read it and we can't see your store or just general thoughts. Uh, this one is titled Greetings from Germany. Hey, Fitwork crew. I left a review many years ago. Star. And then the star says episode 273, apparently. So did the research. That um, one. But decided, yeah, but decided to take advantage of this email option since moving to Dresden for work earlier this year. 
While I know it's not intentional, many thanks for taking a while to discuss certain movies like Past Lives and Asteroid City. It's surprisingly difficult to watch new movies without German dubbing, and I frequently have to opt for the English language showing at 10 p.m. on a Sunday or simply wait to rent it. If it's a non-English film, the latter is usually the only option. I've really enjoyed listening to you over all the years and always look forward to your opinions on different pop culture topics. Question for all the hosts. Are there any shows you are watching currently that you would recommend? Feel like fall TV is in a drought. Keep up the great work, Tony. And P.S. Dave, please appear in the Blake Check podcast. All right, we're going to work on that. We all agree. But are you guys watching any TV that you would uh, recommend? Yes, I have a very good recommendation that mm. I should probably have convinced you all to just watch so we could talk about on the podcast. But have you guys dipped into this Netflix show, Blue Eyes Blue Eyes Samurai? Samurai. Wow, no. <laughs> I have downloaded it for a very uh, soon uh, airplane trip I have to take, but I've heard amazing things. Uh, I, I haven't really been like committed and sucked into a Netflix show on this level. I don't even remember, like, since Mindhunter with David Fincher, we'll talk oh, about I it later in the show. You were but a, um, I just like, I was so guy. enraptured by this. This animated series was um, created by Michael Green, who did Logan and Blade Runner 2049, and I believe with his wife, and his wife is actually the main kind of creative here. Her name is Amber Noizumi, and um, it's like takes place in Edo period Japan and follows this woman who um, she is mixed race, and in she is the blue-eyed samurai, so her father who she does not know is from Europe and she has her mother is Japanese and she is an automatic outcast for for having blue eyes and the layer on top of that is she's trying to avenge herself or her mother and track down her father and this these white men who aren't allowed to be in Japan even and so she's masquerading as a man uh as as and running around as a samurai and she just kicks tremendous amounts of ass and does that kind of classic trope of uh, slicing and dicing and interrogating and being a splashy badass. I mean, the animation is phenomenal, this kind of mix of 2D and 3D. And there's just so much dramatic storytelling going on. Like, I really care about all the characters and I really care about the episodes that get off the beaten path and aren't just like pushing her narrative forward. And there's so much art to it. I did an interview on, on Polygon with the kind of the, the director. Uh, they, they hired this woman, Jane Wu, who I had interviewed, and I think she appears in the MCU book, Dave, because she did a lot of the storyboarding for Avengers and then got sucked into a lot of the other MCU movies. She comes from animation, but then went to live action as there was a need for like somebody who actually understood action choreography. She's a martial artist, and Jane is just this phenomenal creative who Michael and Amber hired to kind of oversee the direction of the whole series and the way that the, she approached it as a live action show. Cause she has like experience on game of Thrones and all these, all these big live action properties. It's just, you can feel it in, in the show. And um, I absolutely love it. And I think people should give it a chance if, if they haven't. Uh, I think even Katie who doesn't may not take to an mm -hmm. animated thing. It's not anime. I will say it's like, it's not, anime if if you've watched anime shows on netflix and you're like they'll never get into this stuff it is definitely i just watched linea Mactress. what are you talking about 
that's not, <laughs> not that's not even what i really mean when i think of anime just like the barrier that you were describing i know people feel that when they're watching like serious animation um but i think i think you would get sucked into this too so that that is my recommendation blue-eyed samurai this was like a whole tidbit here this is a yeah, yeah. Good letter creating segments like where they don't belong I could yes and you because there's one that I'm interested in, but I actually haven't start, started watching. I'm going to watch the first episode that was released last Friday uh, tonight. But uh, had anybody catch, caught the first episode of The Curse, the new Nathan Fielder I show? I was wondering oh, if sure. someone was going to bring up The Curse. Everyone says it is incredibly stressful, and I uh, have not chosen to invite that into my life. So okay. should you I? You don't want more of that? Do I want more stress? If it's anything like the rehearsal, um, it, it can only be more stressful as it goes on. So I'm actually kind of in for that. It's a uh, Fielder Safdie uh, Safdie uh, crossover uh, that also has Emma Stone in it, and uh, I got to see poor things recently. So I, my need for Emma Stone has gone up, and uh, the curse is hopefully going to meet me. But again, haven't seen the first episode. Just very interested. Uh, otherwise. Uh, like Blue-Eyed Samurai, I think the best things I've seen this far, uh, this fall season, have all been animated because they aren't really affected by either the of the strikes. Have you watched the Scott show yet? I haven't Ooh, yet, no. I do want to watch that's that. Coming, I guess that's this, yeah, later this week. But we should talk about that on the podcast at some point. It, it, is, it rocks, so yeah, there's a we lot should. to dig into with that, with that show. And I, I have to say, Dave, there's also a Godzilla show coming to Apple, mm-hmm. the MonsterVerse this show. Week. And it is pretty damn good um yes what a year for godzilla character drama with godzilla nonsense happening in the background and you guys you you guys know about about bayzilla week uh weekend bayzilla movie and godzilla oh i thought we were talking like godzilla is bay like is our boyfriend (laughs) oh no the beyonce movie and godzilla minus one both open on december 1st Ah. uh and uh java immediately got us tickets to beyonce so i'll be watching that on december 1st but i got a fan screening for godzilla minus one so it's my it's my bayzilla week uh in uh in contrast to Oppenheimer. portmanteaus in 2024 of the movies you're thinking theaters Let's, let's I, stick to that. I would love it. Uh, but uh, yeah, thank you so much for writing in. Hopefully we answered some of your questions, Tony. Uh, you can write in fitwr.podcast at gmail.com. Let's move on with the show. guys this seems to be the week uh that it it is time to answer the question oh what's up with marvel why why last thursday loki season two (laughs) wrapped up on disney plus and the marvels was released in theaters and the sag after strike ended and everything went great all of those things went flawlessly everything went perfectly um i have uh, ingested all of those things uh, multiple times because uh, that's what people want me to talk about in addition to plugging mcu the random marvel studios but what uh what of those recent marvel things have you guys ingested katie uh none i, I apologize <laughs> i think i thought you don't have to apologize this is part that- of the thing at you some can't point, I was like, I'm not, like, I devoured Loki season one. Like, I really loved it. Like, it came right off the heels yeah. of WandaVision. I was very into them. And then 
like I think most sane people kind of uh, got a little worn out and kept hearing bad things about all the other Marvel shows. And then I didn't really hear anything good about Loki season two, like at all. So I'm curious about what you guys might have found to like in it. Mm-hmm. Let's get there in one second because I want to okay. say that I did watch Loki season two, so we will we'll talk about that. But I have not made it to theaters to see the Marvels, which everyone uh, in my circle at Polygon actually really enjoyed. But like most Americans, could not work up the enthusiasm to make time and a busy schedule to go see this movie that just completely flopped. Um, I, I mean, really, really flopped disaster for the marvel track record i mean for for movies i guess it, it did okay uh if all movies were great on the same curve but uh like five, five night at freddy's is gonna outgross the marvels and by a that lot is that is not what the world would have looked like uh even three four years ago uh this is this is something has set in something has happened and i think a lot of people attribute it maybe to the, the sag after strike Actors aren't allowed to go around reminding people that their movie exists and maybe without Jimmy Fallon appearances or I don't even know, Mark Marin interviews that people don't know that things exist and don't remember to check. Maybe there is something to that. Um, but then the other side of it is like Marvel fatigue. And I've obviously seen a lot of people push back on that. It's like, why, why would it be now? And, and, these movies are still. Why would Marvel people. fatigue be now? Yeah, I've I've seen just like why, like p- skeptics uh, skepticism over Marvel fatigue being a reality. But but I, like I, so the last or, or, Marvel or, or, movie that came out is Guardians of the Galaxy here. three. I think there's questions about is there superhero fatigue as if the genre beyond Marvel is put is or people are over it. But I, I I actually disagree with that. Like I think there's plenty of room for superhero storytelling happening that's exciting i mean look at spider-verse earlier this year big hit sure. everyone had everyone really liked it marvel fatigue seems real i i'll, I'll i agree with that yeah like i mean there's... i think given that like guardians of the galaxy 3 comes out and is a big hit but it's the end of like a you know vintage right. franchise basically coming out from ant-man being a semi-disappointment like i think the like with, with or without the strike the like level of like oh god okay here we go with the marvels was there from the very beginning but dave, dave you've been talking to you, Mar- marvel you fans it. on book tour for months you watched it yeah <laughs> so are they tired did they like the marvels i mean it seems like it's you know getting even the bad reviews mention how fun it is so i think the marvels is doing okay in a certain metric uh, it is definitely down in all the metrics that Patches uh, mentioned. Nia DaCosta, though, did break her own record for uh, like a biggest opening wish- weekend by a black female director with the Marvels. So uh, things uh, uh, have also. I'm trying to think her. about. Yeah. yeah, I'm trying to. And think she's about already the ba- made another movie. Like she, she's not going to get bogged down in the Marvel machine. It doesn't sound like. No, and it seems like directors, uh, if they want to tap out of Marvel, uh, it's a lot easier uh, than it might have been in the past when you're looped into multiple projects ahead of your first project uh, being released. Um, But overall, I sort of take what's happening with Marvel in theaters as just the um, indicator for what the box office is, what the blockbuster box office is overall. 
Uh, if you have a movie that manages to rope in a younger crowd, like Five Nights at Freddy's, if you have a memeable movie, uh, like the Barbenheimer uh, phenomena, I think it, it really Kids boosts love attendance. They've mm. been waiting for that one. I mean, Barbie kind of carried enough for it and then probably had some spillover into Oppenheimer uh, just by the Barbenheimer phenomena. But uh, again, we're going to have to like de uh, unravel all these narratives at the end of the year once we have some space. I'm not specifically worried about Marvel with the as where it comes to box office, as I think everything that was releasing in this very particular window uh, was having some trouble. Um, but I do acknowledge that there's uh, some sort of serious perceived problem that now Marvel has uh, acknowledged by uh, moving all the movies to uh, 2025, except for Deadpool 3, which is now smack in the middle of July. It's going to be the only Marvel release next year in theaters. Wow. I didn't uh, realize it's going to be it's going to be R rated. So that's a little bit of it's gonna a, make a fortune. Uh, gamble. Probably going to make a fortune and shut everybody up for a couple of months. But there are six months in between here and there. Uh, it's sort of disconcerting that uh, Disney, by moving Deadpool, has given up uh, the opening weekend of May spot, which was the Marvel spot for several years. Mm. Uh, they, so far, they haven't moved anything to place there. I think the closest release that they have is uh, 20th Century Studios' uh, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, so maybe they could bump that up if they're feeling good about that. Maybe we should record the, a uh, like a concert version of Fighting in the War Room that we could independently open on that weekend to ooh. capitalize on the, yeah. yes. on if, the vacancy. If not May, uh, the concert I mean, version Swift of Man Fighting in the War Room. doing her concert, we could do that. Yeah, I think we could do the same thing. Yeah, no reason not to. Yeah, people would love just... Uh, we, don't, we don't even have to go through a distributor... Uh, my dad yeah. could just call AMC mm -hmm. and we, we get it all set up. <laughs> Send and them a, a zip drive or something. Yeah, zip it'll disc. be great. It'll be perfect. Um, uh, but that being said, it is underperforming even for like <laughs> historically what this week would be. Uh, it's underperforming with like, it good, Marvel Dave? movies. Did you like it? Yeah. Yes. I think it's a very solid B movie. The thing that they decided to do with this movie, with its multiple delays, seems to not be necessarily work uh, on the VFX, which isn't to say the VFX are bad, but the VFX look fine kind of across the board. Uh, but you do get the feeling that they've uh, chopped this movie up to make sure that it's swift. So I think at some point they realize yeah, that Iman Vellani's uh, the fucking star uh, of this movie. So what can we do? What a to pleasure it is to watch her in everything. I don't know. So Miss Marvel was fun and like this is her big screen. Know, I'm excited to see. I'm excited to see her in this movie. I'm still I, like I haven't gone to see it, but she's the reason to to go see it. Like that energy, and I'm kind of hung up. You know, you were observing that Five Nights at Freddy's is big. The memeable movies are big. I, I have the same complaint as I did last or two weeks ago when I was complaining about Max not thinking about younger people needing to care about any of this shit. I actually think the Barbie Oppenheimer thing. Got people to care. Five Nights at Freddy's got young people to care. Marvel is losing the young people. And unless you Because you can't have Iman Vellani interviews while yeah. playing with cats. Yeah. You think that's yeah. the only reason that younger people weren't that into it? I Well, I think, I think young they people are not made a going to just having automatically... Trailer. I just don't think they're going to automatically be in the Marvel movies. Because it's monoculture or something. I think they're losing... I mean, this franchise has been going on since 2008. 
there's a whole generation that's growing up thinking that this is the same boring thing over and over again with without any attempt at like making something for them why wasn't miss marvel a spider-man-esque movie with a bright young star at the center why isn't this movie captain marvel 2 why did captain marvel make a billion dollars and this movie no one understands what it is and no one showed up to see it and like what the hell is going on they just aren't making movies for anybody I mean, they just think no one, everyone will automatically see them no one understands what it is i think goes for all the three marvel movies that came out in 2023 because mm. you tell me what ant-man and the wasp quantum mania is about without seeing about that movie goop. that title does nothing the trailers did nothing it was about goop ultimately uh, this one has a little bit of goop too, because the flurkins get a little goopy. But um, <laughs> yeah, they, they marketed this like um, they were desperate, and because of that, they pivoted to with their final trailer. Especially, this is a big thing that changes the Marvel universe, you know, forever. And it was Does calling it? back Did to it? like if you've seen, hmm. I mean, maybe it. You've seen maybe. it. You don't know if it changed Marvel universe forever. What do you want me to say? Do you want me to spoil the last two scenes and tell you how it might have changed the Marvel Universe? Whatever does change the Marvel Universe. Kind of. I mean, the whole point is that it's all very fungible. It's all changing. Well, the universe is constantly expanding. That's yes. true. More importantly, uh, with the Marvels, they figured out a way to uh, cut some sequences down, to ADR their way around certain things, to cut out Secret Invasion's connection entirely. And uh, instead, sub in a cameo from another hero, and they managed to do all those things to make this snappy movie. And uh, from what I've heard from uh, back back channels, is at some point uh, earlier this year they realized they needed to, instead of trying to tell all of the stories the original version of this movie was trying to tell, just make it a zippy fun time at the movies. And they pivoted to that, and it seems to be happening. It is ultimately a woman, uh, woman-driven movie that takes place in space where everybody has energy powers. So, if that type of movie is going to be a hard sell for you, regardless of who you are, this one is not trying I to. I guess like, it was help. a hard sell for a lot of people. No one went to see it. Well, and we'll see if it, you know, what its percentage drop-off is this weekend. I do think there's a possibility that it's a symptom of the greater, you know, not being able to promote it, people not knowing what it was. Uh, it's been a while since Marvel's had to depend on people knowing what the movie is in order to draw an audience. Usually they get that opening weekend number high up, but that doesn't mean that this one's dead in the water. They're just going to treat it like it's dead in the water no matter what happens. Elemental is the number one stream thing on Disney Plus That's this fair. month. Yeah. Elemental so has like, really had a long life. It's true. Yeah. So uh, they don't always know what they've got. We have a new Hunger until... Games movie coming for we do we this, do have a new like, hunger games movie the especially targeting like female audience that m probably hopefully would have shown up for the marvels and didn't but um yeah that's it's gonna be well, tough well, out there for the marvels we've got that we got a beyonce concert film but other than that we also have a whole bunch of prestige movies uh that were sort of left here in december and not pushed to next year next year is gonna be fucking chaos i like i'm excited for deadpool 3 but like on trial by content, we do like a what's going to be the biggest movie of the year. I can't even tell you for sure what's coming out and when at this point. Yeah. So hopefully things settle Doom down two. over a little bit of time. Doom. I mean, we know that's coming. Two. I mean, I'm most excited at this point for Twisters, the Twister sequel. We've Good waited Lord. so long. Glenn Powell. Um, yeah. 
But from the uh, director of Minari somehow. That's right. Um, well, right. yeah, because he's from Arkansas and they have tornadoes there. That's okay. Wild. I see that connection. Uh, Dave, um, we should we patches. should talk a little about Loki though. Yeah, oh you've seen Loki. You saw I some have, of Loki. How I much of Loki did you see? All of Loki. I've seen all yes. the Loki. Loki season two, Katie. For maybe this will entice you to watch Loki season two. I uh, I think this is my theory. I have no basis for this. I haven't read interviews with the guy who took over the show. For the season one was written by Michael Waldron, I think, and and his room, and then they got some lackey to pick up season two. I think because Waldron. Uh, Eric Marvel Martin. movies, yeah, this guy. Michael um, Waldron ran off to write like Guardians of the Galaxy or something. No, uh, Avengers movies, maybe Multiverse sure. of Madness, whatever. Point is, they got a new guy, but it really feels like this season was maybe two final episodes of season one that they decided to be like, wait, we don't have to give it all away in season one. What if we take these uh, two episodes and expand them into a whole season two? Because so by the very final episode. Saying. Like it's a, it felt like the season finale. It felt like the series finale that was set up in season one. Like not much of this had to happen. In fact, mm. a lot of it was pretty tough to get through and or dramatically incoherent. Um, the first episode of season two is a very funny. Do you remember what happens at the end of Loki season one, Katie? Yeah, Jotham Majors shows up and then uh, sends him off into another universe i remember that pretty well you think he gets sent off to another universe but it turns out oh. he just gets sent back in time or ah. i believe dave fact check yeah yeah okay so so it's a time hopping thing, thing about... and people are phasing back in time it... even though owen wilson's still there well so the fun thing about the first episode is in the previously on they're like remember the tva time has no meaning here and then the entire first episode is a ticking clock uh, a ticking clock <laughs> plot inside the TVA. Yeah. So, uh, uh, yes, Owen Wilson's there uh, back in time. Uh, they deal with it. And it's very wow. fun, confusing, I would say. It's manic, and Hiddleston is having fun getting zapped back and forth between different times, and the manic energy almost achieves like a noises off farce. Uh, it's fun. Oh, okay. But then it keeps going. And the season keeps going into the Kang stuff and gets caught up with, like, Miss Minutes wants to fuck Kang. Um, mm -hmm. They don't really resolve that. I, I personally will be haunted and wanting to know more <laughs> about Miss Minutes being DTF. Uh, but Miss we'll Minutes is a cartoon clock, just to be clear. Yes. It's a cartoon clock that was created by Kang who wants to fuck Kang. Um, yeah, that's interesting. So, uh, yeah, there's just a lot of, like, misadventures that go nowhere. Sylvie is back and, and wanting to enjoy life, and I just do not understand that plot at all. And then by the time we get to the, to the finale, it's just kind of like Loki back doing the same thing he was doing in the first episode, back in the same place as the end of season one, trying to figure out what he needs to do to fix time and the he who remains and and all the stuff they were like should he kill sylvie should he protect the tva what does it mean to have being in control of your own life or should the tva be managing people and and all of these big existential questions and then loki makes a decision i won't spoil it because i'm sure people are catching up but like it's a kind of beautiful spectacle moment at the end of the series that really could have happened two years ago i really feel like i didn't get anything from this season. Dave, what do you make of 
Loki season two? Did you find it emotional in the end? Did you enjoy the ride? I think it definitely is a chapter two of a two chapters story. Um, and the thing that I actually liked about that is as Marvel's first second season of something, um, actually what it does based on its uh, circular sort of logic and then with some uh, particular episodes after all time explodes um, is it doubles down on the characters of the TV show, which is how you do television. You're not like, how does this connect to our film franchise? You're like, what is what we what is what we're doing right. here? How does it affect our characters? So I appreciated them attempting to do that. I have a lot of agreement with you where we get into some of the Victor Timely stuff or with Ravona Renslayer this season, her character, that they sort of get pulled in different directions to sort of uh, manufacture incident uh, in places where it doesn't necessarily need to exist, especially given where we end up. That being said, I give a lot of credit to a season finale that feels like a season finale. And a lot of people uh, obviously want to know, based on a quote in that Variety article from an anonymous dealmaker that basically said, uh, they're fucked. I've seen the finale of Loki. They're fucked with this Kang thing. And if you watch the finale of Loki, they're not fucked with the Kang thing. No. And uh, there have been, been a lot of questions about if that's, you know, changed because they shot this last October before Jonathan Majors had any charges against him and apparently didn't do that extensive of reshoots um and then especially now uh showrunner eric martin has been giving post-finale interviews where he's like if you've seen that finale you know how special effects heavy it is and the only reason it looks so good is because we locked that months in advance so i think this is another good example where they were saved by the conventions of tv to have this big cliffhanger finale that mostly focused on characters but didn't you really focus on the timelines yeah, I think it's a cliffhanger. Do you think there's a Loki season three coming one day or it resolves itself in like a new Thor movie or where where do you see this cliffhanger resolving? Um, uh, without giving away too much about what actually happens, uh, I think Tom Hiddleston has a little bit more to do in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I love the idea as we're dealing with the multiverse saga about what things are the same in different timelines and what things are different in different timelines mm. that the existence of Loki always triggers the formation of a, an Avengers team. I think Loki is a popular enough character. He's been around for long enough that when they need to bring him out to juice the Avengers sub-brand, right. they definitely I think we have to have Loki show up. Put him in the uh, the chamber for whenever they need a Loki, which is uh, yes. a smart move. I do. Uh, you're, you're making me think that they have actually put themselves in a position to really wrap up the conversation, like what the fuck is going on with Marvel um, th with everything off the slate besides Deadpool three next year. It really feels like they could go in any direction. If they just take all these movies, they announce off the plate. If they just give up on Kang, like they're in a good position to just wipe it all away and, and start over because it feels like there's resolution here and enough hand wavy to be like, we'll manage Kang. Don't worry. We don't have to deal with yeah. this. Uh, and they the could the Marvels, not deal with it. Exactly. The Marvels does more to point to Deadpool 3 at the very end than it does to point to Multiverse Saga or King. So I think they... Uh, what have, a world that we live in, that the Marvels is pointing to Deadpool 3. <laughs> My God. I mean, I think they patched this hole uh, better than they possibly could have, and now we don't 
kind of don't have to worry about it for uh, over a year. Uh, we just get to sit around. We get to watch an R-rated Disney superhero Marvel movie, which is going to be its own thing and have its own controversy. But in terms of uh, a lot of the complaints about uh, there's too much Marvel, uh, there's too much homework required to understand Marvel, uh, Jonathan Majors is a problematic person and they keep shoving it in my face. All those complaints they have 12 months to deal with uh, across multiple productions that they don't even need to commit to because they have all this time to figure it out. So we're in the reset period. I bet they <laughs> wish. I bet they wish that Marvel's did better because now we just we get to have this what's up with Marvel conversation until July. Uh, maybe Echo will be great in January, but uh, we'll see. We, they Here, definitely kicked the can from my perspective. Let's give Katie the final word. Katie, would, do you want Marvel to reset itself and thrive again, or do you want Marvel to burn up and fail and get out of culture? No, I don't want them to get out of culture. It'd be nice if they would just like make movies that are satisfying uh, semi-independently of each other. I think there is some level of uh, starting again that needs to happen, and kind of like has happened for many people since Endgame. Like, I think that's the thing that we're kind of realizing is that in 2019, for a lot of people, it was like, well, that was fun. We're done. And then it's like, oh, wait, what's happening? And uh, you got to get people right. back. Every Marvel like movie since Avengers Endgame has been like the graduated senior who came back to school and you're like, yeah. what are you doing here? <laughs> I love that Katie says we're done in the exact same tone as her children at the we're end done. of this podcast. We're done. We're done. weird setting up an animated topic uh because dave is right here but i'm fascinated <laughs> by the coyote versus acme drama that's been happening and the possible drama. ability uh for outrage from people on the internet and specifically very powerful people on the internet like a lot of filmmakers saying hey this movie was pretty good uh to get warner brothers to reverse course and maybe make this movie available to the world um i don't know how much i need to recap it but basically they were going to batgirl this uh, Roadrunner Coyote modern day movie with John Cena and um, people... Do you know what the movie is about really quickly? It's, it's about like the um, the Coyote it is based suing on a New Yorker. the Acme Corporate. It's based on a Shouts and Murmurs yes, from It's based on a New Yorker Shouts and Murmurs that they should not have like they had to buy the rights to this satire of this very dry of their own Shouts IP. and Murmurs article about their own IP about Coyote suing like okay sure very funny uh, yeah, but it sounds great. I watched the the Twitter clip of the like the meet meet chorus uh, so many times because it was really entertaining. Sure, Steven Price from Gravity, yeah. uh, who did the score for Gravity, did the score for this movie and has and, a, a meet like, meet chorus. People like Lord and Miller out there being like, we've seen this movie. It's really good. Like whether it tested like incredibly high with audiences or just like pretty well, I think is up for debate. But I think there's been a really successful pushback on it. And <coughs> excuse me. Um, I don't know how often we're going to get these scenarios where uh, studios are trying to shelve movies entirely. Hopefully not that often, but uh, maybe the uh, the ground has shifted a little bit. What do you think? Yeah, so they've definitely uh, decided they're going to put it up for auction to see if somebody could distribute it. They've reversed their initial announcement. But on top of that, they're still getting in trouble. Uh, today, there was a Hollywood Reporter article 
Congressman slams Warner Brothers for canceling Coyote versus Acme. Calls for federal investigation. This is uh, Representative Joaquin Castro, who was like, this is basically like burning a house down for the insurance money. It shouldn't be legal. It's predatory. It's anti-competitive. Um, wow. And if, if there's something I know about uh, running a media company, which is not a lot because I don't run a media company, but you don't want to invite government investigations by your, your financial dealings. That seems... Uh, like a very bad direction for David Zaslav and Max. Uh, it's also hilarious that they announced they were shutting this down uh, when like on an investor call like the day before. They're like, we don't really know why we're not doing good with children's programming. We're definitely going to try to focus on more like children's friendly programming. And then they're like, fuck the Wile E. Coyote movie. So uh, good news. We're going to maybe get to see it. Uh, additional good news, maybe there's a federal investigation into Max that stops this practice where you could tax write down things that are done. Um, I think, you know, if it's good enough to finish, if it's good enough to put the money into finish and fulfill all those contracts, uh, go all the way and release it. And if it bombs, it bombs, but that's Hollywood, baby. Um, uh, but I also really feel for that period of time where we thought it was done and just, like, uh, people who worked on it, uh, were speaking out. We got a fun little reel um, to I fought the law, but the law won of behind the scenes footage that was from like the crew members' personal phones. Um, all these people sort of coming out and being like, oh, we did a movie and now it's never going to come out. I'm glad we were much more responsive this time uh, than we were to Batgirl. Uh, we we could have stopped this earlier, but I hope we get to stop it. What do you think, Patches? I'm okay with Batgirl not coming out, but um, I, I, I mean, I'm, I am happy for what sounds like a wacky movie that my boy Will Forte is in. It's all him falling into, a, or fake falling into a swimming pool uh, in those clips that were kind of leaked from the crew, and uh, very excited to see what this movie that, yeah, a lot of filmmakers and people I appreciate and admire uh, seem to endorse. My My thing is, like, this movie has to be good, right? Like, Better be. What if, this movie, what if this movie is bad? Will people be able to say that? And if it is bad, will people be be like, Ugh, whoops, what did we fight for? That's what I always wonder. I mean, we're fighting for people getting to put their shit out no matter what. I think that yeah. it doesn't matter if it's bad. Um, but if it's, it's going to be hard for people to say it's bad now. Well, I think and I never like that. Part of the uproar behind this instead of something like what happened with Batgirl is this one was much closer to being done and it's a half live action, half animated movie, which means there's a lot of visual effects already in whatever cut that they have of it if it's not completely finished already. So instead of being like, you don't get to finish this, they were like, we're throwing away this complete product. And to filmmakers who maybe want to work with uh, Warner Brothers in the future, why, w why would you? Why would you if they could just and it throw sounds like away a lot of people like project. canceled meetings and hung up and took action? I mean, yeah. that's also inspiring here coming out of the tag aftra and the WGA strikes. It just seems like people are taking more action uh, against corporations that Hot labor them. 2023. And, it's yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's nice to see that it works. So kudos. I I hope good old Wiley can uh, take some successful action against Acme and I get to see it on screen. Uh, it'll be, I will definitely be in for that. That's this right. This movie up my will come out. I don't, I wouldn't even talk about it in whether you see it or not. This movie has to come out now. You will All right. see it. Let's do it. We saved it from Zaslav. There's a way through. You can save things. 
Uh, it's taken the Star Trek Prodigy route. We're gonna get it, just probably not from Warner Brothers. All right, to wrap up this week's episode, we're going to talk about a movie that was playing in theaters. It's now on Netflix. It's called The Killer from director David Fincher and seven writer Andrew Kevin Walker comes Michael Fassbender in his most lethal role to date. Boom, boom. The Killer. Um, that is not the trailer. And that sets a tone that this movie is not, <laughs> I would say. Because <laughs> this movie is very strange. This movie is extremely up David Fincher's alley, I think. I want to talk a little about Fincher before we get way into the movie. But to, to start in the beginning, like, Fincher probably, this movie sounds like a, a like parody of a Fincher movie at this point. Assassin does assassin things and thinks about it um and mm -hmm. it is flashy in the in the in the subdued fincher way where it like seems very meticulous and intricate but it's all in the service of this plot starring fassbender where he is he botches he's an assassin who botches his job in the beginning of this movie and uh gets retaliated against for doing so and then goes on the hunt for all the people who fucked with him um very basic very simple it's based on a graphic novel that i was not familiar with um by two french artists and i do not know how much in common it has with the graphic novel i would imagine not much based on how fincher has kind of taken source material and done what he needs to do to it uh for previous movies uh not giving too much fucks because it also seems very personal as many people including david Ehrlich, like i believe in his writing about this movie has pointed out it seems you could imagine Fincher putting a lot of himself into the killer, uh, a meticulous hitman who doesn't you know, way overthinks what he's doing and has a code of d operations. And when he get lets emotion get the best of him, maybe things fall apart or maybe, you know, this business is working against him. Um, David has astutely pointed that out. I think it's very much there in the text. Uh, before we get into what you all think about, the killer, which still, even in this description, which sounds very Fintry, through, felt like a curveball to me. Kind of wonder where you all land on Fincher. There are devout, you know, followers of this man and the movies he has made. If people who listen to our show have been listening to Blank Check cover his movies, there's many people there who like got into movies because they watch Fincher, uh, because he just hit at the right time. We've been talking a lot about on the side, not on this podcast, and maybe one day on the podcast about millennial movies. And uh, I think Fincher is a, is a key player of getting a lot of people our age into movies. But I wonder, I don't know if we've talked about him so much on the podcast. We had a raucous conversation about Gone Girl ages ago. We probably talked about Mank in the years on this podcast. But where do you guys <laughs> fall on Fincher? Is just like, T, your guy? Or like, are you into this bloody... Edge lord shit that he deals with and yet keeps it artful and 
where's what's what's Fincher to you, Katie? What where where did he come down on Fincher? Um, I wouldn't say he. <coughs> <coughs> Excuse me. Um, I don't think there are that many girls who are Fincher guys, which is like a very broad generalization because like the social network, which we talked about at some point. I feel like we did that for a quarter quell. We brought up the social network and rewatched it. And I realized it's like the most rewatchable movie ever made. Um, so there's a lot of Fincher movies that I have liked a lot. But like I do think that when you talk about the like millennial attachment to David Fincher, it starts with Seven and Fight Club. And those are like the most deeply boy movies. And I think if you were a teenage boy in 1999, you have a relationship with fight club that is completely uh, not replicable for any other person. But I think a David Fincher movie is automatically an event, automatically something you have to see. I'd feel somewhat guilty for not seeing the killer on the big screen, even though we can talk about maybe why that wasn't a big deal. Um, he's, he's a major filmmaker. Like you gotta come and pay your respects. Dave, I'm trying to remember if we have talked about Fight Club on this podcast and your relationship <laughs> no, to I'm it, sure or if, I, like, if we have just talked about it amongst ourselves. Because when I think of teenage boys in 1999 and Fight Club, I think of you. Yep, nope. I uh, definitely was one of those people. Uh, saw it several times in the theaters. But you, got I the... think, got the joke in the from the beginning, right? Oh, uh, I probably. Uh, I mean, I, I think I was somehow both in on the joke and uh, also really liked the movie <laughs> fully activated to commit terrorism in the name of uh rebellion and well i think i think the whole point of the movie <laughs> is that you find tyler durden cool while also knowing it's kind of stupid to find tyler durden cool right yes uh but in terms of like white teenage boys or white passing teenage boys who saw fight club in 1999 like why haven't we blown up the credit card companies is my question mm. like the re-rise of nazism was not the way to go anyway um <laughs> I do feel a little bit torn on the killer because I went in blind. I did get to see it in the theaters. And like Katie said, you you see David Fincher movies. That certainly applies to me. Um, I really enjoyed uh, his sort of post-social network, like airport thriller novel period. Uh, I think he was a really good choice to sort of like elevate things like Gone Girl uh, beyond, uh, you know, initially what's there on the page. Uh, the killer, though, didn't really do it for me. Mm. I get what he's saying, but I got bored with him saying it. Um, uh, and uh, Michael Fassbender is, you know, great in this role, but because of what the role needs to be, he needs to be the titular nameless killer, and his voiceover needs to mislead us, Fight Club-like, uh, into um, thinking that he knows what he's doing and that he has more control over his life than what actually ends up being true. So he begins the movie where he's like, I'm one of the small group of people uh, that is different from you. You are the them. And there's the them that is preyed on by the few. And I'm one of the few. And sort of by the end of the movie, he realizes that he's one of the them, even in this uh, life or death situation, this life or death profession uh, he's found himself in. He always says like, don't get emotionally involved. Uh, but this movie is about him. Uh, uh, basically getting revenge on somebody for beating up his girlfriend. So I... The fact that he has a girlfriend raised some questions yes. for me. Yeah. I, absolutely. Well, I mean, absolutely. There's a lot of stuff that's happening in the subtext of this movie. It's absolutely David Fincher. I mean, to me, I didn't really get this until the second time because the first time I was just like, entertain me, and it didn't. So I was like, fuck that. So I watched it again on Netflix wow. uh, so we could talk about it now. And it is definitely David Fincher being like, 
I made Alien 3 and I made Fight Club and I followed all the rules and still I fucked up somehow, uh, either by how it was perceived or how ultimately um, even the most individual discipline, even the most disciplined individual is going to run up against like big business. Um, I found both of those themes in the killer uh, this time through. I just wish it was a little bit more exciting as a thriller uh, while it was giving that same that same message. I think I felt that way for about the first hour, especially because I got really tired of him saying that, like the monologuing over and over again, even though I understand the impact of kind of seeing the fallacy in it. But the minute that he starts interacting with people uh, like Charles Parnell in New Orleans and kind of forward, I was really into it. Like I thought it really came to life in this way. Like you're not stuck with Fassbender is like, he was like not bad in the movie, but he's kind of deliberately a blank slate. He's trying to keep his heart rate down. But when well, he's we haven't able said to... for people who haven't seen it, like the first 20 minutes of the movie are him basically in a room waiting to do a kill. Being bored. And, and being bored and like going outside to get food and then coming back and doing stretches and yeah, talking being to super himself flexible. about he's a I weird was very, guy. I was very jealous you think he's of really his doing flexibility. That? He puts his nose between his legs. In this movie. I don't know. That, I, I he's a wiry believe, I absolutely guy. believe I yeah, Michael Fassbender has done that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like, I mean, it's, it's again, deliberately lulling you. And then like when he gets back and he's like, you know, they're like, oh, they attacked my girlfriend. I'm like, okay, fine. She's just like this like beautiful anonymous woman. Boring. Um, but like when he goes and finds the lawyer and then he goes and finds um, whoever Tilda Swinton's character is and then kind of building the up to the elder guy assassin or the expert or whatever the, the expert the, the lady who looks like a q-tip which is uh the minute that you hear that a character say that like 45 minutes earlier like oh tilda that's got to be who that is <laughs> and it is um it's just it gets really propulsive and it gets funnier i think as it goes along like there's just like jokes like dry jokes i mean the like the sitcom names he uses as his aliases when he's boarding planes um or just like him kind of talking shit to himself like he says like what does he say uh, how's the I don't give a fuck going to himself? Um, it just he also like, makes a lot of mundane references. There's like he loves storage wars. It's yeah. implied <laughs> mm-hmm. in, in one of the VO moments, or yeah. he makes a wordle joke. Makes a wordle joke. <laughs> uh, he like he's out of a WeWork in Paris, which I that, think is funny. That is a great gag. Um, yeah, he like picks up a cheese grater from a drawer, which is like a Looney Tunes gag, basically during a fight trying to find a weapon. Um, but I think it gets funnier as it goes, and Fastbender gets funnier, and then um, I was really along for the ride. What do you think? I mean, I, I thought of so many different things watching the movie. Uh, there's a lot of visual gags that remind me of, of Fight Club and of Zodiac and uh, how Fincher's not afraid of playing with, like, CG effects and, and overlays and kind of stuff that would seem really hokey in anyone else's toolkit i think or even there's an effect in the movie it's not a visual effect or maybe it is knowing fincher um where we're often seeing the killer pull up in a car and he's just waiting and waiting and then we see the the flip of from day to night or night to day in the exact same spot it's a cool trick uh it just feels like something it's on the edge of like film school oh i could do this and so i'm just gonna Mm. do it and like he he does all of his movies have these kind of moments where I'm like if if this was in someone else's hands if that Fight Club like stro- scrolling through the apartment having overlays of prices and stuff and in this movie it's like looking at an Amazon screen as uh-huh. he's buying something for one of his jobs um, if anyone else was doing this this would be goofy hacky shit there's something about how he 
and maybe this is why he's the master of like com- composition that he, he could just lay that stuff in and it really it or really works. So, yeah it's goofy hacky shit it might be goofy hacky i'm just shit. saying i'm just saying i think it takes both because it sounds like you guys land maybe that's part of his dry comedy like doing yeah, like yeah fincher has a comedic streak and as we've said it it maybe comes out the most in this movie probably gone girl or social network would be up there as fincher comedies but um this one is in in contention uh, but there's, I, I kept thinking about, oh, the other, the other thing that makes us very comedy is I kept thinking of Stuart Smalley, the uh, SNL character, like talking affirmations into the mirror. Like that's what so much oh. of the narration <laughs> reminded me of um, in this movie. But I, I thought of a few other reference points, like Sean Baker came to mind a lot in this movie, not just because he goes to Florida, but just kind of <laughs> like way down to earth perspective of just like how people are really living that's what makes the movie stand out to me like how it's not set in some shadow or it's not like john wick right it's not the assassin's guild and what is this underbelly even though he meets another assassin until the swinton or actually two of them because he's tracking them down after this after they fucked with his girlfriend um but it, he's like the one assassin's living in a dump in miami and Tilda Swinson's living in, actually, she's living in Beacon, New York, where they have an amazing art museum. I've been there. I've walked along uh, the, the river wow. in Beacon. Good um, for yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, like, it's just so lived in. I thought of Sean Baker with some of the photography. This was shot digitally. Sean shoots lots of his movies on, on 35 and that sort of thing. But just the kind of vistas that Fincher's getting in this movie, even watching it at home. I did not see this in theaters. I watched it on Netflix and like the purple skies and the sunsets and the landscapes of these cities. I just, I thought it was very beautiful to look at even in how mundane it often was and that we're going into like real houses and real places, but then like totally switching gears. You said it wasn't very thrilling, Dave. There are some set pieces in this movie that just kind of kick tremendous amounts of ass. The, the Mm. fight that he has in Florida where Florida fights really good. They are fighting with all sorts of objects in this house really made me wonder oh right like david fincher was gonna make a mission impossible three movie at one point and it was gonna be grungy and down to earth and maybe be this like is this his most what am i forgetting is this one of his more action-packed movies i, mean, I guess i don't Spike know if it's one of his more action-packed but... movies but that sequence what else is, is girl with a dragon good. tattoo there's like fight scenes in that not super actiony though he yeah. hasn't really had like a bond play or no, yeah, I don't know, but I guess Alien Three. The, the thing, yeah, Alien Three <laughs> yeah. would probably be his. <laughs> yeah, obviously. I've never seen the, it. The one, the, the fight in Florida is the one that goes the most like you would expect in a movie like this, which I think is why I really like grabbed onto it. It's like finally he's, you know, doing the action. Uh, and I also, I, I think at least it benefited me seeing it in the theater because I know if you, uh, if your Netflix setup is by some windows and you watch this during the day. I think the assassin fight uh, is, you know, lit to be uh, watched on a single screen experience. So some of it's pretty dark, Uh, even though I think you get the thrust of what's happening throughout the entire time. Uh, Yeah, I really like that. I wanted more of that. If things are going to go wrong for him, I would appreciate it more going wrong. The Tilda Swinton one is basically just like the dialogue version of what happens with the, the brute. Because she's the expert and the brute is the guy that needs to just be the muscle. So I do see the like parallel 
And like those are what I are like the key scenes where he's with somebody who is ostensibly his peer in this profession and sort of how they each sort of differently deal with it. I thought uh, was fascinating, but uh, like the most thrilling action, quote unquote, from this movie uh, for me, it's actually the opening title sequence that are different ways he's killed people completely digitally rendered while they're sort of doing uh, Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross score and like a blind effect. Uh, I really enjoyed that sort of uh, big swing. Uh, but yeah, I think ultimately when the Tilda Swenton stuff gets to action, uh, it's supposed to be sort of uh, brief and powerful, a little bit like uh, Dolores, the author administrator who's working for the lawyer. I don't want to spoil what happens to her, but uh, much more like uh, sudden and surprising. Whereas the action sequence you're talking about in Florida patches it, he he fucks up making it quick, and you can see how long things can go bad uh, if he's not going to give up uh, winning this particular fight. I'm just glad he throws a Molotov cocktail at one point in the movie. I thought we don't I'm see the them dog a lot. Lives. God, the dog lives. The if do- this is no that- dogs have to die, even though the yes. dogs are vicious. A dog jumps through a window in this in the pursuit of the killer, which I thought was pretty cool. I feel like I don't yes. see dogs bursting out of windows. In I, I I definitely laughed when that happened in the theater because I'm just but not in like a Diva. dumb way, but like a yes, Diva the dog. That dog's gonna do it. He's the best. Uh, I, I guess to wrap up, I'm, I'm thinking about something, a combination of things. Uh, Dave, the kind of emotionality that you weren't feeling from this movie, or maybe like you were touching on on Fincher pouring himself into this movie, but I guess to what end and like what we're getting out of the end of the movie, in my own reflection on that, I I, I thought it was cool. I think the movie is enjoyable, Mm. uh, but I'm not sure I thought it was momentous in the way, and this is not fair, that I, I want a Fincher movie... I'm not sure he's even my guy, Katie, to your point. I'm like, I'll show up for all his movies. I think Social Network is is genius. Uh, Maybe not as on board the Zodiac masterpiece train as other people, but I think it's it's fantastic. Um, But I I, I want these movies to feel big, even when I can only watch them at home. There wasn't really a theater near me playing the killer. I couldn't. That's still the Netflix way. So I was going to watch it on Netflix no matter what, but watching it at home, even when I give it my full attention, it doesn't feel like it's hitting me in that same way. I feel like I'm already rewatching it. And which mm. is something, as you pointed out, Katie, like his movies are super rewatchable. I'll put on social network just to like huff that movie's score and some of those key mm. beats. Like I love those sequences. I will rewatch those movies. I already felt like I was rewatching the killer the first time I, I watched it. And maybe I, I don't know if that's undercutting it a bit in the kind of like emotional value of what he's exploring here, or if maybe it's just pulpy trash that he needed to do after Mank to like cash a check and like do something totally different from this passion project. But if it's entertaining his entire and it works, who make. cares? It's entertaining. But do you think that there's like, is Netflix even in giving him all the money and giving him the platform to do whatever he wants under undervaluing Fincher, or maybe can it suck the air out of what he's trying to do? Dave, you got to see it on the big screen, so and it didn't hit you either. So maybe I'm I'm full of gas here, but there's something about <laughs> it that I can't quite put my finger on that I think we discuss a lot with with Netflix movies, which is just like, why does this feel like I'm already rewatching it? 
Why does mm. it feel hmm. lesser than seeing I Social mean, Network in theaters or something? Maybe because Social Network is you, a fucking masterpiece. But uh, I'll give you that uh, voiceover monotony is a tough card to play correctly. Uh, sometimes it falls into uh, the the chapters describing music or fashion in Brett Easton Ellis's novel American Psycho. If you haven't read it, don't read it. There are entire chapters that take away from the plot and is just the main character obsessing over fashion. Uh, or obsessing over music releases of the 1980s. And I get why it's there once you've completed the whole thing, but that takes a very particular balance to bore the audience into learning something, uh, which I think this uh, eventually tries to do. So if it works for you, it's a very thrilling movie. It's a procedural that has a lot of fun jokes in it. If not, it feels so procedural that it's like uh, the least action-packed How to Be a Serial Killer handbook movie that's ever been made. And I think it's trying to riding the line between those two things. And if you're going to have a serial killer handbook, uh, just let him make another season of Mindhunter. That's what I wish the Netflix money was going towards. Mm. I was very invested with where that series was going. I don't know how you, uh, I don't know how you transfer it that way. I don't think the, uh, the pots of money work that way. Yeah, yeah, well, I, you know, someone just put me in charge of a media company. I have all these great ideas that are obviously right. You wrote a book. I just need, you could write I, I wrote a book. I mean, uh, uh, here's the thing, though. The, the good thing about Netflix picking up the killer and allowing David Fincher to do this type of movie, uh, you, you could watch it. Just, just watch it on Netflix. Catch some Blue Eye Samurai and catch some killer. Your Netflix subscription is paying for itself this month. Um, I, I, I would say check it out and judge for yourself. Didn't work for me, but I said, as Katie said, and as I agreed with, I think every Fincher is worth watching i think uh, he's he's earned that with some good pulp that does it for this week's show we'll be back next week david will hopefully be back with us in the meantime tell the people who you are I'm Matt Patches, executive editor at Polygon. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches. We have a website, fightinginthewarroom.com, where you can listen to old episodes. As I mentioned, we talked about Mank, Gone Girl. I think we would have talked about Social Network. We've been doing this long enough that we saw, we went to, the, some of us went to the Social Network premiere. I was there. Uh, way back I'm in not the day. sure this podcast existed yet then. Maybe we were like very close to <laughs> We would have almost been. We probably saw the movie and were like, if only we had a podcast. If only we could talk about this on a podcast. We should invent one. But you can do that on fightingintheworm.com if you want to go check. Uh, all right. Now it's me because I'm standing in for both Davids. Uh, David Ehrlich's on Twitter at David Ehrlich. He would tell you normally here to. Leave a review on the iTunes uh, podcast app, iPod, Apple podcast app. No iTunes involved any, anymore these days. Uh, and uh, I'm Dave Gonzalez. You can follow me on Twitter at DA7E or Blue Sky DA7E. Uh, you can also email us here at the podcast at FITWR.podcast at gmail.com. Uh, I'm Katie Rich. You can find me on uh the Little Gold Men podcast at Vanity Fair. You can find me on Twitter and Blue Sky at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. We're in both of those places. I keep saying I'm going to really do the fit where Blue Sky and I don't, but I, maybe I will. Maybe this is the week. Uh, <laughs> find us there where you can um, t- 
tell us if David Fincher's your guy. Just let us know. Uh, or you can answer this week's lightning round question, which was... In honor of the Hunger Games, Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, what on-screen villain deserves a Joker-like prequel film that delves deeper into their character? Thank you for listening, and we'll be back talking to you next week. Ba-bum, ba-bum, ba-bum. Now I'm done. I'm done. We're done.